Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of coronary artery disease. And as you remember, we left off a few moments ago where I mentioned this patient with 62-year-old male with a typical chest pain, and he had a um, score of 1186. And I asked the question, will you then do a coronary CTA? And typically, most people will indeed say yes. And the question is, why? Is there any reason you should not do this study? And really, it brings up the question, is there a time with calcium where the calcium is too high that the chance of getting a successful CTA is not good? So the question I have is, and we once did an article about this, do you scan patients with extensive plaque? And if so, what's your definition of extensive plaque? And do you stop at a certain score? And the answer is most people said they stopped at the score of 1,000, but then when you ask people how many patients have they taken off the table, the answer typically is zero. This article by Heck made the point that there is no absolute score, but obviously the higher the score, the more difficult it is. And when you have less experience, uh, it can become very important. So again, there's no absolute score, perhaps. We shouldn't do a coronary CTA. But the more experience you have, the better you can do. But also, it's not just the score, perhaps, but it's the distribution of the plaque. One very dense plaque in an area with beam hardening can make you not evaluate the LAD, and multiple plaques with a high score will still allow you to do a good study. So there are a number of different factors that are involved. And again, there's no doubt that it's a problem with the higher the scores, as article by Tories makes the point, but there's no absolute score. So in this patient, we did the uh, coronary CTA. You can see the calcium. And then you can see the study, which shows a high-grade stenosis in the LAD. So the study indeed was successful. This patient was stented. Now we know that the higher the calcium, the more likely you're not going to get a great study. Now you can see here the score is 157. But it's a discrete plaque, no problem. But what about this patient? Look at the extensive calcification. Are you really going to say this study is normal if you do a coronary CTA? Or this patient, the score was 3677. Interestingly, look at the dense calcification. But then when you did the study, you can see that the patient had an obvious occlusion in the LAD. Now, you have to admit proximal to the occlusion, it's hard to tell what the vessel is or isn't doing. But there may have been some flow, but there definitely is occlusion. So I think the answer is there's no absolute score, but the higher the score, the more likely you are to have problems. And so people will typically use some sort of cutoff. I think you're going to see in the future insurance companies basically saying if the score is above a certain number, stop the study. We're not going to pay for it because invariably you never say negative CTA. Don't go further. You end up saying, well, lots of calcium, can't exclude stenosis, advise further evaluation. So in that scenario, we're not going to be doing coronary CTA. This article by Vaveri, symptomatic patient population, uh, the presence of calcification decreased agreement between readers in the ability to define stenosis of at least 50%. Now we do talk about how iterative reconstruction may prove helpful, perhaps dual energy will prove helpful, but it's still not helping enough. 
recent article by Schaubach made the point when they looked at calcium scores, they actually found that above a certain score, perhaps 400, you are going to have problems. First of all, with increased amounts of calcium, the prevalence of stenosis increases, making a negative coronary CTA unlikely and increasing the likelihood of the requirements of further downstream testing. Second, calcium might render coronary CTA data sets difficult to interpret or even unavailable. And finally, extensive calcifications frequently cause overestimation of the degree of stenosis, again leading to subsequent and potentially unnecessary testing. And interestingly, in their study, the score of above 287 um, meant that you could rule out stenosis in less than 50% of cases. Now, again, there are other factors involved, heart rate, BMI, and perhaps in the optimal patient, they said, up to 454. But they were making the point, and they were lowering the number above which you can get a quality study. So based on this article, and here's one of their charts, it then makes it clear that perhaps even under 450 is the only time you should be doing a coronary CTA, that above 450, the likelihood of getting a study that says negative or no critical stenosis is low, and you're just using resources unnecessarily. So that's something I think you're going to see evolve over the coming years. Now, with calcium scoring being so valuable, people have often made the point that perhaps it can be used for triage. And the question is, can it be used for triage in the ER? There have been several articles about this, and typically the answer is no, it can't. And the reason is just this example. Chest pain, Agassiz score of zero. Based on zero, you would stop, but look at the patient's high-grade stenosis, okay? This would be a disaster. This patient was stented, but, you know, this Agassiz score is zero. So... Valini's made the point that the use of calcium scoring in symptomatic patients is limited because of test imprecision and the need for additional testing. Again, the thought that you can go with a zero calcium score is often true that it's less likely to have disease, but it doesn't exclude disease, and the chest pain patient in the ER setting is just not good enough. There was a recent article by Bittner who said calcium scoring in combination with clinical risk assessment has high value in the patient with acute chest pain. And what they were saying was, okay, they're not going to say that calcium scoring alone is enough, but they were saying if you're evaluating a patient with all of the risk factors, calcium scoring can be an additional bit of information which can be helpful. In fact, in this low intermediate risk population, only 10% of patients had to go on to further studies. So again, it may be in a certain risk population, it can be valuable, and it improves the information. And they say perhaps in settings where advanced imaging is not available, this may be a good way with help in triage. So again, low scores are helpful information, but again, you need to use it in the context of knowing that it doesn't exclude the presence of disease, and so its limitations are real in the acute setting. Now, people ask me all the time, I did a calcium score, it was 50, 70, 150, whatever it is, how often should I do a calcium scoring? Is it only a one-time event, or should it be like mammography on a yearly basis? It's a good question. Some of the literature now is coming out, 
every five years for patients with an Agassiz score of zero, but perhaps every three to five years when the score is above zero. So that seems to be some type of a strategy. This recent expert consensus panel said that five years for zero scores and every three to five year interval for scores above zero. So that indeed may be helpful to you. Okay, let's go on and now let's start looking at some of the uh, anomalies perhaps. We finished up with calcium scoring and hopefully I've given you additional information that will prove helpful. But now let's look at this case. Patient has shortness of breath. We look at the coronaries, you see calcification in the left main LAD. But then you look more carefully and you see this little dot or this little vessel. And I circled it for you. And you can see that as we look at the video here, you can see as we scroll through the data, you can see that dot coming up. And then you begin to wonder where is that dot going? It's heading up between the pulmonary artery and the ascending aorta. Okay, where is that dot going? Then we look at the next set of images and you can see these are the coronal views and you can see the vessel sitting right there. What is that? And here it is on the 3D view. You can see it again right there. What's that vessel coming off the LAD going up between the pulmonary artery and the ascending aorta? Good question. And now we look at it, if you look at it interactively, you can follow that 3D volume rendered view and you see the vessel is coming around onto the surface of the pulmonary artery. You see that right there, that little, uh, you know, basically a fistula is what it looks like. And here it is with the static images, very nicely shown. And again, very good visualization of that. So again, what is it? And here's again a video showing you that vessel sitting on the top of the patient's pulmonary artery coming from the LAD and you can see as we scroll around so I'm going to ask you no surprise what are we looking at that's not normal what is that cluster and you can see here I'll ask you the question the most likely diagnosis which are the following anomalous left or anomalous right coronary an aneurysm or a fistula and again let me take you back to the images here's the little dot here it is in the coronal view 3d here it is on the 3d volume rendering and as i suggested two vessels draining onto the pulmonary artery it's a coronary artery fistula this was a very complicated case at surgery the patient had two visible communications one from the ramus intermedius came up on the left side of the pulmonary and there was one from the left main coronary came up on the right side. Both of these were ligated. The patient did well. So that's a really good case. Beautiful example of coronary artery fistula. So let me ask you some questions. What's the most common cause of coronary artery fistula? And you can see A, B, C, D. Think in your head the uh, Jeopardy song, D, 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 something like that. And the answer, of course, is going to be congenital. And I'll say which is the most common coronary artery with AV, uh, coronary artery fistula. You could think about that, but if you knew the answer, it would have been the right coronary artery. Coronary artery fistulas can be incidental findings at autopsy, or patients like ours can be symptomatic, presenting with CHF, cardiomyopathy, ischemia, or atrial fib. 
Just a few facts, coronary fistulae, abnormal communication between a coronary artery and another vascular structure. Most common drainage is to the right side of the heart, RV or right atrium. Drainage can be to the coronary sinus as well as left ventricle or left atrium. The right coronary is involved in more than two-thirds of cases. The vessel is tortuous and dilated, as was our case. is usually treated by surgery, as was our case. And again, patients can be, you know, it could be an incidental finding or patients present with hemodynamic issues, as we discussed a few moments ago. And again, more than 90% of the coronary artery fistulae drain into the right side of the heart. Now, I mentioned a few moments ago on one of the questions, the most common cause is congenital, but there are other causes, and all of the possibilities were indeed true. Trauma, angioplasty, bypass, and transplant can all be a cause, but congenital is the most common. This article by Agrawal made the point that sometimes they close spontaneously, but most of them will need intervention, either transcatheter or surgical intervention. Our case was treated by surgery. The majority of cases are still going to be treated by surgery. Volume rendering can be a very nice way of looking at coronary artery fistulae. And again, although we don't think about volume rendering all that often in the coronary arteries for a number of reasons, when you're looking at complex vessels or anomalies, it's really helpful. So here you can see a real nice MIP in 3D imaging. Looks almost like the last case. Look at that cluster of vessels on the pulmonary artery. Here it is volume rendering in grayscale, and here it is volume rendering color-coded, and here it is with the image that won in many case of the year. Uh, it was cinematic rendering. So again, just a very nice example of a coronary artery fistula, and hopefully you learned something about that. Okay, let me move again to the next case. Let me move now to the next case. This patient had a history of GERD, developed chest pain while shoveling snow. Number one rule, don't shovel snow. Um, she was then sent eventually to the ER. They did a cath, another hospital, showed um, acute left circumflex occlusion. She was transferred to Hopkins. And now I'm gonna ask you a few questions. Look at the images. You see the patient's circumflex is occluded at its origin. Nicely shown here as well. But I'm also showing you another finding there and there. And I'm going to ask you, what is the key finding in this patient beyond the stenosis of the circumflex coronary artery, actually the occlusion? And I gave you a few different choices. So what's your answer? Fistula, aneurysm, anomalous vessel, or stenosis? Well, here's the image. You see the occlusion of the circ. But then if you go to the next set of images, you see that ring-like structure just in front of the left atrial appendage, which you really can see here nicely on the coronal view. And that's just a beautiful example of a coronary artery aneurysm. Okay, so the patient had, in fact, two coronary artery aneurysms. A very nice example, that may have been from prior infarct perhaps, um, prior injury to the coronaries, prior uh, ischemia, but so coronary artery aneurysms are one of the things we look for. Sometimes they're calcified, as in this case, and sometimes they're not. 
So in this patient, um, it was decided to treat the patient conservatively. Most patients with coronary artery aneurysms, particularly older patients, are treated conservatively. If the conservative treatment doesn't work, then they will do surgery. And here, another example. I like to show this case. This patient presented with a mediastinal mass, but if you look anterior to the patient's ascending aorta, there's a soft tissue mass present. There it is circled. And although you may think at first this is a node or a tumor, perhaps, you realize that's the patient's right coronary artery, and that's a right coronary artery aneurysm. And here's a nice example of the right coronary, the right coronary artery aneurysm, and cinematic rendering. So CT is very good for detecting aneurysms. Coronary artery aneurysms, complications from thrombosis to embolic phenomena to rupture, hemopericardium. And as I mentioned, in terms of management, um, medical therapy is ideal, but not always going to be possible. Now, if I asked you a few questions, again, this is a quiz session. What's the most common cause worldwide of a coronary artery aneurysm? The key word here is worldwide. And when you do worldwide, then it's Kawasaki's disease. If I asked you the question in the US, it would have been atherosclerotic disease. So again, there's a range of causes of coronary artery aneurysms, but think vascular conditions, Kawasaki's, Takayashu's, think iatrogenic or traumatic, post-cath, and think atherosclerosis. And here's just a nice list of the coronary artery aneurysm etiologies with Kawasaki's leading the list. We wrote an article a number of years ago about this. Coronary artery aneurysms are uncommon. Incidents under 2%. Most commonly, they're felt to involve the right coronary, followed by the LAD and CERC. It's interesting, everything is the right coronary. Fistulae are the right coronary. This is the right coronary. Let me show you another example. This is a great case. 20-year-old has chest pain. They thought maybe it was an anomalous coronary artery, maybe it was a dissection. Here's the CT. And if you look at it, look at the patient's coronary arteries. Look at the right coronary. Look at it with motion. You see, when you look at it with motion, you can see very nicely that both the right and left coronary arteries show aneurysms. The aneurysm of the left coronary is just humongous compared to the right. And now you see it again as I scroll through a 3D volume set with volume rendering. Look at the coronary arteries of both the right coronary and the left main coronary artery. They're both large. The left one is the largest. Beautifully seen here as well. And seen here in 3D. That's a couple statics. And here's the 3D where you see the right coronary having aneurysms both proximally as well as distally. And so this patient has multiple coronary artery aneurysms. Wow. Well, what can that be? What's the most likely diagnosis? All of these can give you coronary artery aneurysms, but the thing that more likely gives you multiple coronary arteries aneurysms is Kawasaki's disease. And that was Kawasaki's. Usually the patients present earlier. The average presentation is under age two, but sometimes they don't present until their 20s. And in another case, identical last week, except there's only one coronary artery aneurysms. Kawasaki's is an acute febrile illness, under age five, more common in Asians, especially Japanese, uh, also called mucutaneous lymph node syndrome. The heart involvement is common 
in Kawasaki's from pericardial effusion to myocarditis to mitral regurg to aortitis to congestive failure. And here's just some examples. Patient who's 11 years old, Kawasaki's, look at that aneurysm of the left coronary artery, nicely shown there and shown here. Or this 12-year-old with multiple coronary artery aneurysms that are pretty large. And that's, again, patients with Kawasaki's young age will have aneurysms that can be multiple, that keep, can keep growing, and can develop calcification, and then perhaps stop growing. Okay, what else? Let me go to this case, but I'll tell you what, our time is running short. Let me come back to this case, and we'll pick it up in a few minutes. But let me show it to you as a teaser. 38-year-old female, history of depression, history of coronary artery disease, was having chest pain. This was essentially New Year's Eve. There's the imaging. Look at the patient's LED. What's going on? Think about that, and we'll come back in a couple minutes. Be right back.